Hello and welcome to Empire Builders, the place for entrepreneurs, business owners and experts who want to build an epic empire. I'm Nick James and thanks for joining me here today. In this episode, I'm interviewing one of my very good friends and probably one of the smartest investors I know. Um, please welcome the amazing Frank Flegg. Hey, Nick. Good to have you, mate. Good to, good to be here, mate. Um, that's very kind of you. <laughs> you must not know very many investors. That's all I can say. Oh, no. I know, well, I know a hell of a lot of investors, as, uh, as you well know. So, um, yeah, you're, you're, you've been the person I've come to consistently over the last year or so for advice on various investment matters. So I think it's only fair that I give you the credit. So um, loads of things I want to talk to you about today. Um, for those that don't, maybe don't know you, maybe just give us a quick, a quick thirty seconds on who you are, what your business do, uh, businesses do, etc. Yeah, absolutely. So Frank Flegg, um, my main business is Ethical Property Partners. Uh, that's a, a franchise of property investors across uh, now five countries, and my other business is I am an active property investor myself. So I have a portfolio of 60 plus properties now. And the reason I hesitate is that it goes up and down almost on a weekly basis. We're buying and selling uh, frequently. And that consists of everything from little two up, two down terraced houses to um, a hotel, holiday lets, or all manner of properties uh, in there. So those, those are my two main focuses. Great, thanks. So, so I think where where would be a good place to start, Frank? Is um, obviously you've been building the property portfolio, the property business over a number of years. Um, what was your reason for getting into the training space? So, to start teaching, coaching, mentoring, training people on property investment. Yeah. So, I was actually a secondary school teacher. I taught science, biology at secondary uh, level for a couple of years and decided I wanted to go into to property. It was a bit of a pull into property. My, my family had been estate agents and stuff, not really investors, funnily enough. Um, and I was just drawn to property at the same time I was pushed away from teaching a bit. I was a bit frustrated with the national curriculum and all, all the focus on exams and stuff. So I went into property uh, in 2007. I bought my first buy to let in 2007. Same year I quit teaching and started investing. So I bought my first buy to let and decided I was just going to go all in. You, you, you know me well enough, Nick. <laughs> I don't do things by half. So I went all in, quit my teaching job because I figured I was safe because if I quit at the right time, I got paid for the summer holidays. That was my safety net. So my safety net was six weeks summer holidays that I still got paid for. Um, and I went great strategy for any teachers out there that are wanting to start <laughs> a business. Make sure your time leaving the job to coincide with the summer holidays so you still get paid. Um, exactly. For, for what, what, what is it about? 25 weeks they have for holiday no <laughs> <laughs> that's it yeah yeah that was I've just that, lost that, all of my audience that are teachers now hate me i was joking <laughs> i know it's six weeks for summer <laughs> yeah that's the myth that I, I empathize with the teachers that that still get stick for having so many holidays and working a half day and that it's far from true i can honestly say i worked harder in my second year of teaching than i've worked since with with my business i can honestly say that i've never worked i've worked the odd week that is harder but not the odd three months like there's no three month period um since i've had my own business that i've worked as hard as i have as i did when i was a teacher yeah which which speaks volumes uh, you know my wife nat she was a primary school teacher and i remember in the early fa early days of me starting my business um, you know, I was working hard, but she was working equally as hard, like early starts, getting to school. She'd be marking and doing stuff late at night. Like she was putting some serious hours in for like not a lot of money, really. So I, I've got a lot of respect for teachers. And yeah, it's 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 not a job I would you couldn't pay me enough to do it, quite frankly. I'm laughing, Nick, because you've nearly dug yourself out of that hole you dug for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so um I went all in in though that, that six week holiday and I went and worked for an estate agent commission only, which is a pretty 
good way, I think, of um, of starting in an industry that you know very little about because it's easy to get a commission only job. He wasn't recruiting. <clears throat> I actually went around some estate agents and had a chat with them and decided and picked who I wanted to work for and then said, look, this is my situation. I want to learn the ropes. Um, can I come work for you for free? Um, any sales I make, what what can you what 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 would be fair to pay me? And we agreed on twenty percent, twenty percent of his turnover. So um, I worked for him for six weeks. Uh, was it longer? No, it was about six weeks. I think I did the six. It took me about four weeks to like land that job, and then I worked for him for about six weeks, maybe eight weeks, and I doubled. So in a state agency, you have like the the number of properties on their books that's their stock so you need stock in order to sell to people i doubled his stock in um that period of six to eight weeks and sold i think he had like two record months or something on on what i sold i just i was in really early. i basically worked as hard at that as i did as a teacher so i was in really early i was walking streets i became an expert at this will make you laugh for sale board polls Right. So I could gauge, I know it sounds funny, isn't it? But I could gauge by how green, they're all white posts, right? Square white posts. And they, they put the little flimsy um, plastic board on uh, for whichever agency it was. And I could gauge by how green the, the pole was, how long it had been on the market. So I could tell if they were out of contract or not. So I would knock on all the doors of, of for sale boards that I reckoned were probably out of the three month exclusive period. And I'd say, um, just giving you a call, just knocking on your door because I can see you for sale. How's it going with your current agent? And everyone hates their estate agent. And so I was just bringing people on and I'd come in and have a cup of tea and I'd say, oh, we'll work so hard for you. And, and of course we did then work really hard for him. So yeah, I got to about six or eight weeks in and um, <laughs> the guy was struggling to pay me. He's going to remain nameless, but if he ever hears this, he'll know exactly who he is. He was not paying me. And, and there was excuse after excuse. And I thought, hang on a second, I'm working my socks off here. And uh, he paid me a hundred quid. That's what I got for like my six or eight weeks. And so I rapidly decided I could no longer work for this guy, but that I loved it and I was pretty good at it. And so I had the decision to make, do I go do the same for someone else? Like my plan was, I didn't really have a plan, but in my head, I think I was thinking like, I'll do this for a year, 18 months and then strike out on my own. And then I thought, how much more could I learn that I've not already learned in six or eight weeks? Massive, uh, what do they say? The arrogance of youth. And so I, um, I just set up on my own. I went and found an office opposite Savills in the middle of Nottingham. This is NG1, centre of Nottingham, and opened my doors. It was crazy. It really was crazy. And here's the funny thing, Nick. Um, you were in business at this point in time. My doors opened, all branded and everything. Happy Homes, that was the name of my agency. Um, and uh, that was November 2007. Oh, like the worst month, literally the worst month in a decade I could have picked. Like Lehman's Brothers exploded like the next month. Um, the 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 cliff, it was just a cliff edge that happened just then in 2007. Like it, it didn't happen six months later. It was right then. <laughs> I was losing five grand a month and I borrowed money just to open my office and stuff. And um, yeah, so that was my baptism of fire. Very nearly went under. I was like, yeah, cutting back. I've never bought less food because I've been short money, but that was a, a, a painful period where that, that was the case. But one thing, I took massive action. I was still taking massive action. And one thing saved me, and that was the fact that I'd, I'd, <laughs> everything I do full out, I still do, if I'm honest. And I, I decided decide I was going to deliver leaflets. But instead of like getting a thousand leaflets delivered uh, printed and then like delivering them myself like loads of agents do that they'll do half an hour at the start of the day half an hour at the end i got a hundred thousand leaflets printed <laughs> i laugh at myself now it filled my garage like hundred thousand leaflets is a lot okay <laughs> it's like half filled my garage and i'm really like high quality card because i wanted to stand out and then i employed some bloke to come some um Kind of, he might have been a rainy or something, but I remember he was ever so hardworking and really, really grateful for a job. And he walked eight hours a day delivering these leaflets for me. And on one side, it was like, I'll sell your house. And we had a gold, silver, bronze um, service. And on the other side, it was, I'll rent your house for you. You know, I'll go find you tenants. 
And then just at the bottom, like one quarter of one side, so an eighth, an eighth of the um, um, ad, an eighth of the the flyer, there was a guaranteed sale. I guarantee to sell your house within 48 hours. And what it was, was I had a, a few friends, only like three or four friends. I'm an unsociable git, really. And um, they had said to me, like friends from teaching stuff and, and a couple in business, if you find a really good deal, Frank, I'll buy it off you. I'll, like, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a thank you and um, I'll buy it off you if you find anything really good. And it just occurred to me that I'll just advertise for that as well. And oh my goodness, people just phoned and phoned and phoned about that. They couldn't care less about the estate agency and the lettings. And um, they'd all say, how's this 48 hour of sale work? That's what I'm interested in. And so I'd go around and have a cup of tea with them. And I'd say, well, your house is worth a hundred. Every agent's going to tell you 110. I'll put it on for 110. And then in three months time, We'll have a conversation. We'll drop it to 100 and then it will sell. Or if you really want to sell in 48 hours, I've got people who will buy this from you for 85 and I'll have had them round and they'll have made you that offer within the next 48 hours. And the best thing is you don't even pay me a fee. They'll pay me a fee. And that's what people went for. And that's what saved me. And so I closed the estate agency. I closed the um, lettings agency and just did that. We just built portfolios for landlords um, and have done ever since. Um, in 2009, so still in the depths of recession, um, my business partner and I did 26 transactions like that, um, where we were just representing the investors. That was in 2008, rather. In 2009, we refined it. So I was charging a thousand pound fee, which was crazy cheap. But in 2009, we switched the model and we started buying them doing them up ourselves and selling them on. And that that took our profit or our turnover rather on a deal from a thousand pounds up to closer to 20,000 pounds. Wow. And, and we did 26 of those in 2009, just my business partner and I, just the two of us. Uh, in fact, the Daily Telegraph came up and did like a half a page spread on these two blokes from Nottingham who um, were bucking the trend of the recession. They were looking for a good news story and they found us. So, so that was... Yeah, that was how we got going. Um, my business partner and I separated um, 2010 and I just carried on myself. I was buying quite aggressively. I was buying probably five to 10 a year and flipping five or six a year. So I was earning a hundred grand a year and I, I got to the point where I was working three days a week. It was, it was like really comfy. I took 15 weeks holiday one year um, and that was, that was actually, I can remember it was when my son was three. So six years ago, I paid, I was paying myself some months. I was paying myself what I earned in a year as a teacher. Um, I had complete freedom of location and had like, I was taking a four day weekend quite often because I was doing a 30 hour week. But when you've been working 80, 90 hour weeks, that feels like a holiday. <laughs> so I do it in three days and, and, and have like a lot of time off and, I, I got to the point, it was about that year, it was about 20, uh, so that would have been six years ago. So what's that, 2015, something like that, 2014. Um, and I realized all I realized all I'd done was um, repeat the same year a few times. And you know me, um, Nick, I'm, I'm not massively materialistic. I'm very much in it for the journey. And I was bored. I was, and, and well, my question was going to be like, all this sounds great. It sounds like you sorted out a nice lifestyle for yourself. Um, and, you know, you've, you've spoken a couple of times at, at my Expert Empires events and shared really what, what your vision is and your purpose and why you started the expert business, why you started the franchise. So I guess, yeah, I guess that's the next question. Like, What, what was it that caused you to, rather than rest on your laurels and have a great mm -hmm. life, what caused you to really choose to, build the empire and go big. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that, that really, that almost achieving my goals, I achieved a lot of my goals at that point. Um, you know, you, I, I'd had a dream chart. I'd, I'd had a coach from 2007. I got a business coach right at the start, actually, which probably was one of my saving graces. Um, the, it was getting to where I wanted to get to and then realizing that wasn't really where I wanted to get to. Um, made all the difference. 
And so, and I sometimes alienate all um, audiences when I'm speaking, and I know this by saying, you know, financial freedom, financial freedom of time and freedom of um, location is not what it's what it's cracked up to be. Everyone strives for it. People make millions of pounds. You can only you can only really understand that when you've had it. Exactly. You can. I remember people telling me so many times, money won't make you happy, and things like that. And you hear it. And theoretically, you understand it. But in reality, you don't really get it until you've experienced it, until you've experienced having a lot of money and being miserable, or in your case, achieving all these goals and being bored. Um, mm. And then you get the lesson. And so actually, I don't really, you'll never hear me say or teach or train or say from stage, you know, money won't make you happy or any of that. I go, because actually me saying it is a complete waste of breath because you have to experience that reality in order to really get the lesson, I believe. Uh, and I agree completely. And I, I don't think I would have believed it if I'd heard it. I probably had heard it and just been a little bit depressed, um, for sure, and did a lot of soul search. And I, I'd like my, my wife at the time, uh, my ex-wife, she was a doctor, so she was still working 80, 90 hours a week. And so I was just like rattling around this house. I'd go for a four hour run just because I was bored. You know, it's crazy. And so I started doing some soul searching and, and realized that all the way through, right from being at university, I'd had a, a goal maybe or a, a concern for the homeless. I'd grown, I'd grown up in West Wales and hadn't been exposed to homelessness. Uh, I'd been to London a few times, Swansea, Cardiff, but my nearest neighbor was a quarter of a mile away. My nearest nightclub was a 45 minute drive away. You know, we were talking really rural and I just hadn't seen homelessness on a, on a regular basis. And my walk from my house where I lived in Nottingham to university, I'd walk past the same homeless people every day. Like I'd, I'd know some of their names and stuff. We'd go out for a night out and there'd be, there wasn't an ATM without a homeless person sat next to it, asking for some changes. It was really because I hadn't been, desensitized to it because I'd not really seen it. It was really um, disturbing, I guess, like really got me thinking. And that was at university, you know, a, a good few years had gone by, maybe 10 years had gone by. And I was in this soul searching phase and I realized that that was still a fire in my belly. I'd never done anything about it. I'd actually thought about doing it <laughs> in my mate's garage when I was at uni. I thought of like housing a homeless person and helping them get a job and stuff, but we'd never done it. And so I decided that that's what I was going to be about. I was going to be about housing homeless people and ending homelessness. And my, my, my vision is to ho end homelessness globally. And people snigger sometimes when I say that, but I couldn't care less. I'm well on the way to it. If I never achieve it in my lifetime, I don't care. That's a legacy for my kids or, or my um, corporations to carry on beyond me. And, um, and so we kicked off doing that. And I had two ways of doing it. I could either get rich and then donate money to end homelessness. But we're talking Warren Buffett, Bill Gates level of wealth. And I, I'll be honest, I didn't back myself. I don't back myself to get to that level of wealth. And the problem with that is because of compounding, you look at what they've done, Warren Buffett and Bill Gates, they have given millions upon millions to charity, but they've done it very late in their lives because they've had to compound their wealth. And I wasn't keen on waiting i wanted to just start doing good and so the other way that i looked at was if i could help other people to get to my level of affluence then they could start giving back to their local communities and that's what i went with and that's where ethical property partners came from uh we've got 70 franchisees now across um multiple countries and i'm really proud to say we've just broken 150,000 nights where someone has slept in one of our beds rather than on the street or sofa surfing. We should be right now, we should be in Nepal um, setting up a housing project there, uh, obviously, because we had a whole team of franchisees all flying over. Um, and obviously that's not happened. It's going to happen next year now. But yeah, that that is that was the germ of an idea started at university that launched EPP and has now led to EPP being in five countries. Amazing. I mean, mate, first of all, I think... I remember when you first shared that with me uh, or first shared it with our community on stage at Expert Empires and, you know, when you mentioned the vision of ending homelessness globally and, you know, you say some people snigger at it, 
but that's more it says more about them, I think, than it does about you. Um, mm. But the fact that you've already in you know what is let's be fair the early stages really of this project you've already um had 150,000 nights where somebody slept in one of your beds rather than um rather than sleeping on the street i mean that that is incredible incredible achievement and hopefully you know things like this the reason i wanted you on on empire builders was to share this to hopefully inspire some of our our clients our community to think what kind of impact might they have given their expertise given you know the the assets they've built so far what what kind of impact might they have um to others globally um or, or even just in their local communities to start with um because i think that's a it's a phenomenal phenomenal achievement so um i guess the, the next thing is you, you've you've now um like you said you've got 70 franchisees globally um you know, i think you said you're in five different countries uh which which has kind of happened more recently. You started to go international all over the world. What 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 have you done? How have you taken what is effectively it's an expert business? It's showing people how to source property, how to fund it, how to get tenants, how to make this whole business work. And you franchise that. How have you gone about? Because most most expert businesses don't ever reach the scale that you've reached certainly not in the period of time you've reached it so what what words of wisdom have you got for us about how to scale a business like this worldwide yeah um it's a really good question and i've i've been thinking a lot about this recently actually i'm i'm helping to uh one of our good friends uh to franchise a business of his at the moment and then uh, another friend of mine to franchise um a because i'm a big fan of franchising i think it's an excellent win-win solution for both the franchisee and the franchisor and b because it's a brilliant way of of rolling out a successful business model um and so the way that i did it i think is a, is is the that's going to sound so arrogant. I'm trying to rephrase as I'm saying it is the way I would recommend you do it. I think it's a good way of doing it. And so the way that I did it is. By the way, mate, sorry to interrupt you, but like, you, you know, you've managed to get 70 franchisees in what period of time? When did you sell your first franchise? Well, my first franchisees are um, currently four and a half years in. So yeah, from yeah. zero to 70 franchisees in what, four or five years. Yeah. And like, you know, take this the right way but you're not a subway or a mcdonald's or a global brand that obviously not even, yeah i'm not even known for property investing so if, if i asked you to name the 10 most famous property investors in the uk i, I wouldn't be in that list or i might be now but i wouldn't have been three years ago so yeah it's but, a good you know, point for there. So for you to say the way you've done it i mean i know you were trying to uh, not come across uh, as as arrogant or anything like that but i go the way you've done it to go from zero to 70 franchisees in four years without having this huge profile, this huge brand behind you. You know, I think anybody that's looking to scale via franchise should should take notice and, and follow your lead. Cool. Well, thank you. So the way that I did it was I did one-to-one and one-to-one um, coaching, if you like. And I would recommend that. I would definitely recommend that. I took on um, two clients and charged them 50 grand, 50 grand each um, for a year's tuition, one-to-one. And what I did is I, and I knew I wanted to franchise. So I, I'd been in between there, I'd, I'd experimented with a couple of businesses. So my wife's been an action coach and I owned a BNI franchise for three years. She'd been an action coach for eight years. So I, I'd, I'd experienced franchising twice from the other side of the fence. And I knew I wanted to franchise my business. And that's probably one of my biggest lessons would be start with the end in mind. That's not my quote, that's Stephen Covey's. But um, you need to know where you're headed. You, I knew it was going to be global because it had to be in order to house the homeless globally. It had to be. And you look at both of those franchises, they're both in 50 plus countries. They are both global, successful global franchises. And so what I did is I took on these two clients they were very committed. No one parts with 50 grand. I didn't take 50 up front. I took 10 and then another 10. And it was like stage payments as they got results. I backed myself in that regard. 
And then I took on two more clients probably after six months on a three grand a month uh, basis because I was starting to lean it down. I wasn't spending as much time with them. I think by the time I took on the, the first two guys at 50 grand each, I, they basically got as much of me as they wanted. I only had two clients. I massively over-serviced them. The, the second two for three grand a month, I was giving them six hours once a month plus a webinar a week, an hour a week. So they were getting about nine hours a month. And um, by the end of the 12 months, I'd basically systemize my whole business because I'd, I'd pick a topic for the, the month that I was going to teach them in. And then before the day with them, I'd prep the six hours of tuition and the, the worksheets and, and the, like a lot of it was in my head. A lot of it I had like on rough form, I had a system, but it wasn't written up. So I just write stuff up during the year. And by the end of the year, I had a manual. And so um, I would say that's a really good way to start because if you call something a franchise from the start, people expect certain things rightly. Um, if you call it a one-to-one -one bespoke coaching program, they just expect you. And so if they like look for an answer, they're not expecting a website. They're not expecting a manual. They, they're just expecting you to pick up the phone and tap into what's between your ears. And then well, I wait, kicked what, off what the I franchise. Love, Frank, is we've never had this conversation before in this level of detail. So I love it. And yeah. also I love how it aligns so much. You know, my philosophy around when you start in a business from scratch, like you, there's certain strategies, tactics you should deploy and certain strategies and tactics that you shouldn't. And, you know, if you're setting up a, let's say, you know, a business as a coach, consultant, mentor, something like that, always offer and sell one-to-one -one first for many reasons, some of which you've already explained. And then you'll kind of learn as you go, then what the scalable version of that would look like with, you know, with processes and systems and what the content would be. And then you can, do one-to-many with groups as you've done with the franchise. I think, you know, your your philosophy on building a franchise is actually very similar to my philosophy on building an expert business. It, it absolutely is. And, and the one thing you've not mentioned it there, I've heard you mention it before, is if you start with one-to-many, the, the likelihood of success of your clients is much lower. One-to-one, yeah. -one, so long as you pick your clients carefully, the chance of success should be sky high. If you can't help your clients to succeed one-to-one, -one, then perhaps you shouldn't be doing it. But you get amazing testimonials. So I had, I had like one of my clients went from, I think he had two buy-to-lets that he'd built up over 20 years. He was a successful business owner. He put in 10 hours a week into his property business, quite disillusioned with his, um, his, his um, manufacturing business. And at the end of 12 months, he was up at something like 11 properties on 10 hours a week. And he'd carried on running his business. When, when you stand in front of people and go, do you want to come buy a franchise? Look what I've done for this guy. Mark, his name was, do you want to come replicate what Mark's done? That's a no brainer. Um, so I had the testimonials and I, I took on three franchisees initially. I just started with three. And the deal was, I won't charge you. This franchise is going to cost 20 grand but I'll give it to you for free. And uh, we're going to write the manual together. So uh, I've taught this for a year. I've proven that other people can do what I've achieved over the last eight years, seven years, however long I've been doing it. Do you want to, do you want to come, come be in on the ground floor? You'll always get the best deal of all my franchisees. And I've, I've been true to that. Um, and literally they, they came on board we did three days solid intensive training which was basically me talking and them writing notes and then i photocopied all their notes and got those written up and that become that became the first manual and then every six old school yeah 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 absolutely <laughs> and then um they we did another intensive training like about eight months later and we brought on another five franchisees at that point so we have a rolling uh, what's the, I don't know what the uh, correct expression is, but like a rolling intake. So yeah. people join whenever they're ready, but then once every eight to 12 months, we do a, a three day intensive training where we teach them everything and then they, they become a cohort. So we're on cohort seven now, and it's just got more and more systemized, larger and larger. So we bring in cohorts of 15 now rather than three. And that's how it's built, mate. Yeah. Brilliant. And I mean, you and I met, I think it was a couple of years ago now. Um, mm. when, when I think you were at like 
20, I want to say, franchisees. Not not far off that. It would have been around that number for sure, yeah. Yeah, and, and so what, what's been, um, I guess my next question is, um, what's been the biggest factor in scaling it? Or what's enabled you to go from 20 to 70? Because that's, that's serious growth in the period of time we're talking about. Well, at the risk of uh, blowing smoke, it's you, Nick. There's no two ways. There's no two ways about it. I don't know if you're fishing for that or not. I don't think no, you, absolutely you, not. You to... A strategy that people could replicate, but of course, if yeah. you want to blow smoke, then please feel free. <laughs> go, go ahead, Frank. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, but, it, but that is the truth. The truth is, we were growing organically, and if you think about it, if if we went from three to twenty in three years. How on earth have we gone from 20 to 70 in two years? Um, the system hasn't suddenly got better. The quality of the delivery hasn't suddenly got better. All that's got better is we've got better at telling people we exist. And, and I said three years ago, I wouldn't be in the top 10 names in, in the UK for property investing. I'm not saying I am now, but I'm a lot, a lot more likely to be. Um, and it's just... You know, we, we didn't even have a CRM. We ran our business on spreadsheets, nothing other than spreadsheets, <laughs> spreadsheets and email. And we've now got, uh, we had a website that we couldn't change. It was just a website that had been built that said, and, and I think, I think that's, there's a lesson in there for people. You don't need all this fancy stuff to get going. That was a high, like when I came to you, uh, that was a highly profitable business that, that was, um, rock fast and 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 i think enviable to a lot of people um, and we didn't have a decent website and we didn't have a crm and we didn't have click funnels or anything like that we've got all that now we've got a lot more assets marketing assets and and a lot more marketing strategies and that's all it's really been we've just systemized it we've recruited early i always recruit early um so we've we've had the resource to grow and increase our delivery that's something that you and i have in in common nick i think you are exceptional at and the growth of your business over the last two years um i think you've been exceptional at over resourcing early so that you're as you grow the quality and as, as a client of yours i've seen the quality of your delivery and support improve because the worst thing one can do is to build one's business at the detriment of one's clients um, and and you've done the reverse and i've i've striven if that's the word I'd, i've strived probably that's the right word <laughs> strive to do that to do the same um but yeah marketing and mar our sales have always been strong you know you know me i love a i love to negotiate um but our systemized selling uh was very weak and our marketing was very weak that, that, that's been the biggest change in the last two years for sure yeah sure um, and by the way I, I must say, um, I'm grateful for the compliment, but the the reason why we've grown the business and the quality of service of experience has improved is because that wasn't always the case. So I've made the mistake in the past where I scaled up on the sales and marketing operation, but didn't scale up the resource in terms of being able to deliver our service at the same rate and so the growth of the business was, as you've said, at the detriment to the clients. So having made that mistake in the past, now, as you've said, we're, we're recruiting early um, and adi getting additional resourcefulness in the door so that we can deliver before we need it in, in some respects. So um, look, I'm really wary of time and, and obviously um, it'd be foolish of me to interview you and not ask you some questions as far as the economy and investment go. Um, as, as I said in your intro, um, over the last couple of years, you've been my go-to person for, for investment advice. Um, and, and it's been incredibly valuable. And of course, now um, I invest with you on um, some projects and stuff. So I, I guess we've talked about this a lot privately, but I'd love for, for the listeners of the Empire Builders podcast, you know, it, it's October 2020. It's been a crazy year like we've never seen before. What what do you see happening in the next three to six months as far as the economy goes, as far as the housing market goes? As small business owners, like empire builders here, what, what do we need to be wary of? What do we need to be aware of? What, what should we be doing so that, you know, in any, you know, it's, it's I suppose it's a... Um, 
a common fact that's rolled out, but that's because it's true. In any recession, there are more, they say, millionaires made in a recession than at any other part of the economic cycle. So like, if we're going to take advantage of this dip or this, um, you know, the pandemic and, and the effect it's had on the economy, what do we need to be aware of as far as you're concerned? Good question. Um, I was scared it was going to be my only interview this week. I didn't get to talk about COVID. Um, um, you've relieved me, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> it's so relevant though and so appropriate to talk about it. Um, you're abs- I'm going to pick up on your last point first. You're absolutely right. Recession, times of change, actually, not, not just recessions, but times of massive change are when fortunes are made. I said to my clients, we, we have a daily webinar, right, on the EPP, a daily support webinar. And I said to my clients... Hold on, I've got to stop you. I've got to stop you. Let's back up. I don't want to skim over that. Daily webinar for your clients. Like anybody who has clients, whether you're a coach, a mentor, you've got a mastermind program like I have, um, Frank delivers daily webinars to his clients. That's how he's built 70 franchisees and how he's delivered and retained so many of those franchisees over the last few years. I wanted to pick up on it because, by the way, I don't know anybody that delivers as intensively for their client base as you do. It's it's integral, Nick. We've we've been doing it for, I think, best part of a year now. Um, Not all delivered by me. I want to hasten to add I'm not on there every day, but I'm on there at least twice a week generally. Uh, And then I've got my successful franchisees delivering or my HQ team delivering on on their areas of expertise. Um, I was taking them daily in April and May because things were changing so quickly. And tail end of April, I said to my guys, um, this is it. This is the opportunity that we've been waiting for. I didn't dream we would have another, I wasn't ready. Come 2008, 2009, I've said already, I was right at the start of my journey. I did all right, but it was from a standing start. This time I said, we're ready. I'm ready because I've been preparing for this for the last 10, 12 years. You guys are ready because you've got our systems and my support. And, And that's true for anyone. Over the next couple of years, 24 months or so, boy, are there going to be opportunities in every market because there's massive change. And Warren Buffett talks about Mr. Market being an emotional being at the moment. Now, I'll preface this by saying I am not a political person. People judge me for this, but I don't vote. Um, I and, and because I don't vote, I can never criticize the government, which is actually a very liberating thing to 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 mm-hmm position to put yourself in if i voted and um and had a say in it then i'd be able to criticize but my perspective is i couldn't do a better job i honestly i look at what boris does and i think i wouldn't want your job for all the money in the world and i don't think i could do any better than you anyway so that actually puts me in a position of just looking at the rules that get made very simply and go right you've made the rules you're the referee i'm just going to play the game as best as i can and so from my objective perspective, I think the government's done a pretty good job of quashing fear. I, I, at one point early on in the pandemic, I wondered whether we were going to have people taken to the streets like we've seen in other parts of the world. And I, I be honest, I was a little concerned about that. They did a brilliant job. They brought furlough, furlough in, they bought all manner of, of, of uh, business bounce back loans, et cetera. However, fascinating because you, your perspective, and, and by the way, the reason I'm interviewing you is because I'm fascinated to hear your perspective. So you, you're saying you think the government's done a great job of um, of quashing fear. And I'm sure somebody else would come on and make a really good argument for how that's the opposite in their opinion is true. Mm. And the fact is, it, it isn't one way or the other, but that's your objective opinion, as you've said. Um, so, uh, yeah, I just wanted to highlight that point. Um, and I do think, you know, as you've said, they had furlough and the bounce back loans and they've done a lot to prop up the economy. So, um, yeah, I guess the question is what, what do you see happening next? Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and that is my subjective opinion. Absolutely. Um, and it all comes at a cost and that's the key thing. They've, they've, they've relaxed people. We, we had vast swathes of our population sat at home with more money in their pocket each month than they would ordinarily have, not yeah. working. That, that, that like 
boggles the mind paid for by the government. And like Margaret Thatcher said, there's no such thing as society. And what she meant by that was there's not this magic pot that gets filled up by the genie each night, that we are the country and we all pay for that. So that furlough will have to be paid. And um, coming back to that conversation at the end of April, I said to the guys, in this next 24 months, I'm going to buy 50 properties. I just Now, I've only got 60, 65 at any one time. To put an extra 50 in there is, is going some for me. That's two a month. Um, and I said, you should all have similar ambitions. Some of my franchisees are buying one a month already anyway. Um, and But that's the magnitude of the opportunity. And the reason for that, coming to your question, is the perfect storm that is brewing for 2021. And the more I look at it, the less I think we can avoid it. The government's trying Boris this month at the, uh, this, yeah, this, uh, this month, it was this month actually, the toy conference said, um, generation buy, that's what he's called it. Um, 95% mortgages for first time buyers. Well, that's a brilliant recipe for votes, absolutely. Have we already forgotten why we had the credit crunch 10 years ago? Like it was over leveraging. And so we're now at a time when house prices, like on every economic measure, even the government's own statisticians are saying 16% house prices drop in the next 12 months. Royal Institute Chartered Surveyors saying 15% drop. We're everyone saying between 10 and 20% drop, anyone credible. Um in the next 12 months and boris wants to and this isn't an attack at boris you know the government who are let's let's be honest are they really worried most about us the, the country or are they worried about maintaining their office you know let, let's be honest about what what their priorities are and so um he they are are going to prop up the banks or force the banks or subsidize the banks to take that gamble on negative equity. It's almost a guaranteed situation. Whether or not it was just for, for, for headlines, I don't know. And that's the only curveball is what might they just throw at this to keep it going a bit longer. So what they've done is they've, let's use a metaphor, and I think this is useful. Someone's driving along the motorway, at 50 mile an hour, and they realize they haven't got enough petrol to get to the service station. So they put their foot down and go faster. It's that kind of a metaphor. It's like, no, 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 you're going you're gonna to run out of fuel bef- okay. like in less miles if you do that. You slow down a bit and you might just make it. And they've, they've poured all this money. Like no one's saying quantitative easing. I haven't heard that phrase anywhere because it got a dirty name 12 years ago in the last session. But that's what we're doing. What is a bounce back loan? It never has to be repaid. If the company goes pop, there's no personal guarantee. There's no other way. They may as well have sent checks out to every single citizen saying, here's five grand, um, go spend it and help the economy. But they don't want to do that because that would be deemed crazy. It's the same thing that they've done, in effect, with furlough and the bounce back loans. And so the perfect storm, in a nutshell... Um, you've got furlough ending this month. You've got uh, in all but name, um, you, 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 sorry, in all practical senses, you've got companies going under like nobody's business. Commercial rents were at 22% collection this quarter. That wow. means that 22% of the country's commercial tenants paid their rent on time. That is unbelievable. Uh, and, and if we don't, like, and commercial landlords, they haven't got a genie filling up their, their pot every month. That, that means they're going to be repossessed. It, the, the perfect storm is, 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 is stunning in its magnitude. You've got VAT that was postponed from this year. You've got rates that were postponed. You've got bounce back loans and um, the larger coronavirus loans that all become due next year all start being repaid next year you've got corporation tax you could just you could just phone hmrc and say i'll pay my corporation tax late this year and they went okay no problem at all so all of that is happening we're going to have unemployment go up we're going to have redundancies go up we're going to have liquidations and bankruptcies go up at the same time that the government has to start raising taxes and they have to um I can't think of a tax that's safe, quite frankly. I can I can name a few if you're interested that I'm certain will go up massively. Capital gains tax being one, that will go through the roof, um, yeah. I predict. Uh, and there'll be quite a few others, but I can't think of any that are safe. And and when you look at all of that at the same time, when what's the chances that our economy is firing on all cylinders in six months' time? I'd say zero. Like yeah. 
I was supposed to be at the Expo, the Franchise Expo, British Franchise Exhibition, Friday, Saturday last week. That's like a thousand people walking around one room in the NEC. Like, how long is it going to be until we can do that again? We were doing it online. <laughs> like, people were knocking on our door and we were opening the Zoom door and chatting to them. We are so far away from normality as an economy, but we've just put our foot down on the accelerator and and we're churning through money. So, will we be able to avoid a well? We're already in a recession, but like a massive housing bubble, a, a massive drop in house prices and a really deep, long recession. I don't think so. Could the government throw a bit more petrol on it or put their foot down on the accelerator a bit more? Yeah, they absolutely can. Um, but I think it's all quite short term fixes now. Um, you know, help. Uh, what was it? Dine out to help out or whatever, or whatever it was. They're, they're little gimmicks that are just kicking the can down the road. But my kids and your kids will be paying for this thing. There's no doubt in my mind. Was that yeah. enough of a, I feel like I was on, on my soapbox a bit, but was that a no, bit no, of a, an no, insight? Right. And I absolutely agree 100% with everything you've said. So, so I guess the question is then, um, as a small business owner, as an empire builder, um, as somebody that might be interested in investing, like what should we be gearing up to do? You've said for your franchisees, you've said, aim to be buying 50 properties in the next 12 months. That's big. Um, so if someone's a small business owner, maybe somebody who's building a business in the expert space, as many of our community are, what advice would you give them? Yeah, good good question. So the first thing is, if this doesn't show you, I can't think of a clearer message to um, not rely on one client. And everyone who's got a job is doing that. They have one client. You you said this to me a few years ago, Nick. Um, you said the worst number in business is one. I've never heard it said before. One client, one member of staff. That's the the one number you want to stay away from. And I one thought, advertising yeah. source, one salesperson, a- anything, because the risks just so high. You're vulnerable, absolutely, yeah. and it, it, it keeps coming back to me. You, you probably didn't even think twice when you told me, but I've probably used that twenty times to make a decision since. And so, if you've got a job, you've got one client. If that client can't pay you, that client goes out of business. That client doesn't like you anymore. You're, you're unemployed. And so, for for the people out there, your 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 community building their expert business, the first thing is great. Well done for putting you in this position. If you've got two clients, you're twice as safe. Um, my, my big message is take action. Um, and I didn't know if you were going to ask me about, um, time management, Nick, but for me, it's not about being busy. I've worked 80 hours a week. I've worked 70 hours a week, take action on, and we, we have two phrases in the EPP profit generating activities and most important tasks. And, and I haven't really got time to elaborate on those, but the first one is self-explanatory take concerted action that's going to get your results, which is bringing money, not make your website pretty, not improve your logo marginally. And so in the next two years, adapt, be aggressive, be bold, because the landscape is changing. Yeah, And I could I'd tell you stories about Kodak and, and the likes that just didn't evolve, that just became extinct because they didn't evolve. The big, this is a time when the one man band can adapt like nobody's business, can be massively flexible. I I won't bore you with stories, but some of the stuff we were, I will tell you one quick story. We were buying houses without seeing them within days of Boris standing on the steps saying, you mustn't move house unless you have a good reason. We we had counselors phone us up saying that's illegal. And I actually did a training session for my guys where we went through the actual legislation where it said you are allowed to move house if you have a reasonable excuse. And every one of our vendors that sell to us has a reasonable excuse. So we were quoting this to the councillors that were complaining to us. We were inviting them to phone the police. That sounds really aggressive, but we were because we knew we were were being lawful. Um, Our leaflet delivery companies were telling us we're not allowed to. We were saying, go and deliver. Here's the video of an expert saying we gave them video to show to the police if they got stopped that they were allowed to be doing their job because it's impossible to do from home. And so we we were um, negotiating with vendors. We were getting properties valued by mortgage lenders when we were buying them without seeing them in the middle of lockdown. And that's not to blow our trumpet. That's to 
encourage your community to be bold. There's no way that the the big house buyers, there's, there are companies that buy 10 times what we buy here could do that within days. They're, they're impo- they're, because they're oil tankers, they take miles to change direction. We're nimble and, and all of your audience are nimble. And so adapt, be bold, take concerted action to move towards your goals um, and enjoy the journey. Enjoy this time of change. When people are tearing their hair out, I talked about Mr. Market that Warren Buffett Buffett talks about. The the market now is going to run. They're going to be scared. They're going to withdraw from the stock market. They're going to withdraw from the housing market. So they will drop. We'll go into a bear market. Warren Buffett says, when the crowd's doing one thing, you do the other. Be bold, invest, whether it's property. I know you're buying companies as well as property, whatever it is, whether it's investing in staff. Like we're we're recruiting in Serbia at the moment because we don't want to bring on massive overhead. Um, and Serbia's average wage, the average wage in, in Britain is £2,500 a, a month. In Serbia, you can get a graduate, fluent English-speaking member of staff for £250 a month. So we're bringing on Serbian staff to do our admin roles um, and our customer, um, low-level customer um, communication roles because we might need to shed those overheads. Um, and and so we're, we're just adapting. And I think, I think that would be my take-home message, Nick. Adapt, but be bold and take action. I love it. And I think a great message for us to end on uh, for this interview. So um, thank you, Frank, so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. Um, I'm sure those uh, subscribers to the Empire Builders podcast will have got a lot of value. Um, They can connect with you probably in our Facebook community, the Expert Empires community. Of course, you are one of our our mastermind members. And so you've spoken on stage, Expert Empires, and you're part of our communities. They can connect with you in there. Uh, If they want to reach out to you and connect regarding investment opportunities, working with you privately as I have on building my portfolio, how would... How would somebody go about doing that? Yeah, sure. If people are interested in um, strategies and how sophisticated property investing works, then I would recommend the podcast, um, Sophisticated Property Investment, Ethical Property Partners. Either of those on uh, on your pl- podcast platform will find us. Um, YouTube channel, Ethical Property Partners. Or if you want to just find out what we're about and explore our website ethicalpropertypartners.com um and yeah we'd love to hear from you frank Clegg, you're a legend thanks for joining us thanks mate okay that's it for today thank you so much for listening to empire builders please subscribe leave us a review on apple on spotify on other platforms and uh share the love tell your friends remember till next time the more you connect the more you collect